Welcome back to the Great Time Podcast, everybody. Brando, yeah. Have you uh, have you thought out yet uh, from the weekend? No, actually, I actually I have this weird thing going where I'm like super hot all the time. I don't know. <laughs> it's because you what, if that's like a reflex from being frozen for several hours. Have, have your lips thought out yet? I mean, my my my, my lips are still like Dude. chapped from all the my the wind burn and and the like. Oh, oh, that's the wind was the killer. It wasn't even the cold. It was the the wind in combination with the cold, but. That wind was just wicked, and yeah, my uh, whole face. The only thing that's really exposed, you know, is getting beat. Right, right. Well, hey, everybody. We just came back from a weekend of diving up on the shipwreck of the Kooka up in Charlevoix, Michigan, on Lake Charlevoix, Michigan's third largest inland lake. It's a monster. It's a beast. covers three major cities up in Northern Michigan, three major tourist uh, cities. The one that we were staying in, which is the town of Charlevoix, uh, but also East Jordan, which is a big. Uh, Isn't that in the Bible? Wasn't Jesus there? City. <laughs> Jesus was born in Michigan. I think he was diving the Kuka. I think he was on the Kuka. We could be compared to a Jesus this weekend because we were walking on we water. Did walk, a lot of us. There's a whole fucking gang of Jesus. We were Jesus, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and the 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 big tourist town of Boyne, Michigan. If I, if if those of you out there that are looking up the cool northern Michigan tourist towns, and uh, and for you Bible historians, <laughs> Lake Charlevoix empties in. Well, doesn't empty and is connected to uh, Lake Michigan and served as like a safe harbor for sailing vessels, especially back in the day. Yeah, so you got Lake Charlevoix, which is a huge lake, connected to like a little lake of Round Lake, which is then connected to the big Lake Michigan. And yeah, they used to bring ships in and and hide them from the storms in Lake Charlevoix. So there there are other shipwrecks in this lake as well, but the Kuka is kind of just perfect and awesome, and it's still in such great shape, and it's got a cool story to it. It's party barge, man. It's party barge. It's a party barge. Enough said. So, so yeah. So I, I guess the, the, there's a little bit of what we should tell the people of. You're a special one percenter in the scuba world if you're an ice diver, because in a way it's it's not very popular. Because it's kind of the stupidest diving you could do. Well, it's, it's, it's the most hurdy, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> it's it's cold. It's a ton of work. It's boring as hell other than the 15, 20 minutes that you're able to struggle through a dive. The rest of the time, especially if you're doing it to, to standards, you know, you're, you're sitting around as a safety diver. Uh, then you're a line tender. You need additional helpers for for getting people in and out of the water. I mean, you need six people at the minimum if conditions are perfect for two people to go ice diving to to go down to only go to two feet of water because because usually when you're ice diving, right? I mean, most people don't even get deep enough for their computer to even turn on. Because the draw to the dive is being right there under the ice and seeing the bubbles, and that's the experience. Like, just to go to a normal 
inland lake to drop down to 30, 40 feet where you can't even see the surface anymore to be attached and tethered to a line that makes swimming around a pain in the ass. It makes no sense. So you're going to spend that time on an ice dive, like right under the ice. But when you do the KUKA, the KUKA creates a whole different experience because it's a full weekend adventure out on the ice. I mean, it's not just an ice dive. It's fun. You're on a big, nearly 200-foot-long shipwreck. I mean, this this thing is a real dive. It's shallow enough that, you know, when you're on the upper deck of that bow, you're you're in just over 20 feet of water. So you have the full ice experience. You have a full, big, real shipwreck experience. I mean, this thing is a gem, like the premier ice dive, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. Makes you work for it, though. Uh, she'll make you work for it. Oh, she's a needy <laughs> bitch. <laughs> but, you know, anything good requires work. That's that's just the way it goes, and this is no different. I mean, I mean, I think you, you hit the nail on the head with the, this is a little bit different of an ice dive. Most people take the ice diving classes, you're right, they're, they're in three, four feet of water. Maybe they'll drop down to 10, but it's all about the experience, being close to the ice and, and the uh, the view of the ice, you know, taking that sight in because it's, it's always spectacular. But when you couple it with uh, probably 80 to 100 foot of viz, somewhere in, in that range, and uh, a really cool shipwreck that has a really cool little story behind it, it makes for a great dive. Makes You know what? It makes for great photos and video. Well, yeah, there you go, you know, and, and so many people, I mean, I remember some of my ice dives that I did. I remember my original <laughs> ice diving class. That was the chocolate it was ice. In about That's chocolate milk ice, they <laughs> yeah. call it. <laughs> right, you're, you're in like four feet of water, it's just miserable. Uh, four feet of visibility in the water, I should right. say. Um, and then even like our local lakes that, like, we've got one that we have done a lot of classes in the past where the visibility generally really opens up, but so many people do like an ice dive right from shore in a class where you're restricted to 100 feet, but after one or two groups goes into the ice, I mean, you're in just such terrible visibility, and it's all about the instructor has, you know, six divers that he's got to get through, three dives. It's it's generally such a mill of go, 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 go. It's just for the experience. Unless they hate the instructor, of- unless they really hate the instructor, <laughs> right. then they kind of lollygag and just take their sweet time. <laughs> but uh, the KUKA, man, is, is just, it's a whole different game. Now, like, like you said, it, it's it makes you work for it because it's nearly a mile offshore. It's nearly a hundred miles offshore. No, it's uh, yeah, it's it's not at the edge of the lake, and the lake's pretty good size. So you got to go out to the middle, where that uh, vast open field of ice allows for the wind to really gather up some speed. <laughs> Not to mention, yeah. And this weekend, yeah. this weekend, it most definitely did. Uh, we had, you know, Saturday afternoon, we had twenty-eight mile an hour winds rolling at two thirty in the afternoon, and that's when the uh, the weather report came in that there was going to be gale force winds in thirty minutes, yeah. and, and we had wind gusts of upwards of fifty miles an hour out there on the ice. And unfortunately, like we had to, Saturday, we had to call. I mean, it, it was just 
so brutal. Yeah, when the gale force warning came. Fortunately, we had we didn't get everything we wanted to get in on Saturday, but we got a good portion of it, so it it wasn't too bad on Sunday, making up for what we uh, what we lost on Saturday. Yeah, the the, the winds died down a bit, down to. Uh, almost 20, you know, gusting upwards of the, the mid thirties at times, but, uh, which is crazy when you say a 30 mile an hour gusting wind was, was comfortable and tolerable compared to well, what we had going yeah. on, uh, on Saturday. I don't know. I think you're stretching, stretching comfortable there. <laughs> we tolerated it. Well, but, tolerated. Yeah. yeah tolerated. Uh, which was only doable by the army of people that we had out willing to put in assistance above and beyond the students that were there diving that usually take the brunt of all the work. You know, this time you know, there was a bunch of past divers and past students that came out to dive, that came out just to have fun. A couple that came out to dive that sacrificed their diving because there was so much work that needed to be done. Yeah. They, they just stuck with uh, helping around the ice hole. That farging ice hole. Yeah. But the Kuka, you know, um, for all you history nerds out there, uh, originally started as a, a ship called the A. Stewart. It was later renamed the H.J. McAvoy and uh, finally became the, the Kuka or as the, the New Yorkers. Shout out to the New Yorkers that drove 10 hours to take this class from old Jamesy and old Brando. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have, which is where, where this wreck was named from, is there's a Lake Kuka over in New York. And they said, why do you guys pronounce it the Kuka? Uh, I'm pretty sure it's called the Kuka. And we said, no, it's called the Kuka. Why would you name it the Kuka? That doesn't make any sense. Clearly, the Michigan version is right. And it is named after that. I don't know. It is it is named after that lake. So uh, I don't know. It was It was a subject of great debate at the dinner that evening. I'll tell you, I thought it was... <laughs> It's going to get ugly there, but. All I know is her <laughs> resting place is in Michigan, so I think we go with the Michigan pronunciation. Oh. It's like the old Regina-Regina debate. Well, which is, yeah, eternal. That we have <laughs> that we have every year that's never going to end. No. But yeah, she was originally built in 1889, 172 feet in length. You know, over a 30-foot beam. You know, this is a a big... I mean, this is what you would consider like a real shipwreck in the Great Lakes. I mean, it's not your little rowboat or cabin cruiser that, that sank out in the middle of your local lake. Although this is a big local lake, this is a real goddamn shipwreck. Cargo holds well, and like in, in room inside that you can drop down and get inside of yeah originally it was a a wood barge that they would tow around you know transporting lumber around northern michigan and then later on would be bought by a restaurant owner that had a restaurant on the eastern end of lake charlevoix to create some additional seating area and whatnot and then he, he turned that into a speakeasy, a floating pub, <laughs> a nightclub, uh-huh. uh, once once um, uh, Prohibition hit. So for those of you around the world who uh, are, are listeners all over the world, America had a very, very, very dark time in its history. 
between 1920 and 1923, where the selling and the manufacturing and the transporting of alcohol for boozy consumption uh, became illegal. And that's where we had, you know, a lot of the early gangs in America and the, the rum runners the in, Kennedys. A, in America. <laughs> Don't forget them. <laughs> forget how they came that's into where power. Ameri- that's, that's where America really <laughs> cemented its uh, political leaders with scandal and mob. Why not? <clears throat> and mob connections. But yeah, you know, and, and Michigan, especially Detroit, Michigan, has got a rich history of, you know, running booze across the Detroit River and, you know, all kinds of stuff all throughout uh, northern Michigan. And uh, this was no different uh, and lots of problems. You know, uh, one of the, um, I think it was the, like the host or one of the main cooks on the boat or something, you know, got got shot in the, in the stomach. You know, we hear on the news of gang violence every morning if you live in the metro detroit area anymore uh but it's no it's nothing new i mean that's been going on for a hundred years or more yeah it's got a pretty good uh little gangster type mobster speakeasy party barge reputation there and that area i mean was was a place for uh what's the word i don't like to call them elites but they had money people had money and they came to party on the party barge Oh, right. You know, we were having this conversation on Saturday night when we were warming up with a little glass of whiskey that was brought over by our wonderful New York friends from St. Lawrence Spirits. Shout out to St. Lawrence Spirits on the uh, lovely uh, St. Lawrence River in uh, Clayton, New York. But, uh, you know, a, like a, a glass of whiskey, like a shot of whiskey back in, in these days was like a $3 beverage back in 1920. So, I mean, it wasn't just, you know, you know, just any old buddy, you know, grabbing a, grabbing booze. Like most people could afford a drink, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and these guys were out nightclub and party bars all night. So it was. It was a uh, people with money for sure back in this day. Yeah, you had to have it. You had to have a bunch if you're going to have a couple cocktails. The cocktails were for the very elite willing to break the law. And the criminals, because, yeah, it was well, where there's money, law-breaking. James, where there's money, there's criminals. Let me just tell you that much. <laughs> let me just tell you this, but wait a let minute. me just tell you, tell you this. Wait Sonny. a minute. <laughs> Wait a minute. Our government's full of money. <laughs> Our money. Cocksuckers. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it's, uh, I think the best part of the, uh, the Kuka story is, you know, it, it's kind of twofold, but the Kuka was a piece of shit boat. I mean, it, it was barely staying afloat. In its day, and they had a guy. His full time job was to pump water out of the boat on a daily basis to keep this thing floating. Not a bad and job. Paid, Not a bad job. <laughs> no, and, and he was paid in whiskey too. He, oh, he, he could have got rich, man. <laughs> yeah, right, right. He was paid in illegal whiskey, and it, it's funny that they were saying that it was like a, a an alliance of uh, 
the women's temperance movement, so women's Christian group up in northern Michigan that oh. hated that hated this vessel that actually sank the ship one night. Dude, we didn't even notice this. So what? over at the Weathervane restaurant, did you go over and look at the bar? Oh, right. I remember that part of that story, but yeah, yeah, the bar was beautiful. That that big, thick, heavy. You know what that is? Wood bar. It's gorgeous. That's the rudder from the Kuka. Yeah. So the the weather vane is the hotel that we stayed in. And there's a restaurant next door. Yeah, it's beautiful. There's a uh, an architect. He was pretty influential in this area. His name's Earl Young, and he designed many of the the buildings and in this particular restaurant. He designed and he designed the hotel we stayed in. And they're they're rather unique in this use of stone. To make everything, yeah. The, I mean, the, the the stonework is so beautiful, massive I mean, stone. When you go when you when you go through town, you you see a bunch of buildings, and you see a bunch of restaurants, and you see hotels, and they all look like buildings and restaurants and hotels. And when you see the weather vane on the west side of the road, you know when you cross over the river, looking out on Lake Michigan, there, your eye is immediately drawn because it's so cool and so unique and so different. Absolutely. It's all mostly him. He became quite famous. Uh, you know, went to University of Michigan and influenced by the, the old Frank Lloyd Wright designing. Incredible stuff. But there's a couple fireplaces, you know, one in the hotel there. There's a couple in that restaurant. And they're not what you think of as, you know, this little fireplace. The main one that I really like had a keystone over the top and it was nine tons that was in the nine ton stone that's just one of probably a half dozen stones that size that made up the, the fireplace it was beautiful yeah yeah gorgeous hotel so and, and they took such great care of us um there was a few other people at the hotel uh besides our group we had a, we had a nice group of nearly 20 people up there and uh the weather vane took fantastic care of us so shout out to them the restaurant has five fireplaces. I didn't know that. I didn't know it was this famous, you know, reading up on it. I didn't know it was this big of a deal. It's pretty cool. Well, all I know is last weekend they should have had six fireplaces. <laughs> if we could if we could have a couple of those out on the ice, it would have been nice. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, back to the to the ice diving. <laughs> yeah. So anyways. So we should give a, a bit of a shout out to you know all the people that we oh had Lord. up oh, there. Jesus. You know, so we had a full full class that was there. But in addition to that, you know, I, I've got a few instructors, you know, from my local shop that that came up to help out as well, which uh, they they were going to come up and dive and uh, help. Um couple of them were going to kind of work on you know getting better kind of learn you know teaching ice diving a little bit better um yeah an ice diving course is a different animal than the normal course isn't it yeah absolutely absolutely it is um help me out you got any names uh so we had uh dave jerry chris skippy steph joe nick and we had the students Katie, Chris, Matt, Josh, Monique. We had Robin and Scott and Stan. Terry, yep. Uh, we had um, Kevin showed up later. Wasn't really there there, but. Go on, make up. You anybody, can just yeah, make it, up some names it, and throw them in there. <laughs> anybody else? Anybody else at the hole that you that I'm missing? No, I think you got everybody. 
so the people that were involved, you know, let alone the, the full group of students that we had, you know, Katie and Chris and Matt and Josh and Monique, we had divers come up from, you know, Columbus area of Ohio, Scott and Robin. Uh, we had, you know, local guy, Stan, you know, a couple of students were from New York, a couple of students from Northern Michigan, Southern Michigan. I mean, we had people from all over the place that were up there diving with us. Some of the local instructors from, from my shop, you know, Jerry and Chris and Skippy that were up there wanting to help both in the water as well as topside do a little bit of interning of like how to conduct and, and run and, and keep divers safe under the ice. Mm-hmm. Stephanie came over from Alpina. You know, we had, we had a full-time cook on staff yes. all weekend that Bravo. made, you know, big shout out to Joe for, for all of his hard work. That's all day. Um, that's, that's all day in that damn grill tent. Oh, I know it. But yeah, but he was working his ass off, you know, making sure we had breakfast in the morning, lunch in the afternoon, uh, a phenomenal help from from Nick and yes. Saint, uh, you know, Saint Clair County Sheriff for for the Sanilac. facilities Sanilac. that they were. Or, yeah, I'm sorry, uh, Nick at Sanilac County Sheriff's Department for the facilities that they brought. I mean, they had a full on, you know, trailer, you know, thirty foot long trailer for heated. To, to have a staging area for getting suited up and keeping gear warm, four wheelers, snowmobiles. You know, Kevin Kevin was there helping. Terry was there helping. Uh, Big Dave was there up to dive. At, you know, big shout out to Dave yeah. for just sacrificing his dives because there was so much work that needed to be done topside because those conditions were so harsh with heating water and running water and bringing water to us that really saved our lives number one <laughs> and, and, and saved the class because there's there's really like no way like we could have continued like when you sent me that message of we had what 155 hours or 155 minutes in the water on saturday yeah. like you and i yeah. together and then another 120 or something on no it was 103 on, on su- sunday 155 and then this is just the in water time we each had I mean, I know that it was a little bit more than that, so. Yeah, so those guys, like, heating w- buckets of water up, bringing them over so we could get feeling back in our hands mm-hmm. so that we could get back underwater for another 20 my minutes. Damn face froze. Our, our face, oh, yeah. my. There was a point where I, I you know, it, it was hard because, you know, I, you got a camera in one hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got, uh, you know, you, you try to focus on the students, you know, you need a hand ready to help them, but you also need a hand to keep your regulator in your mouth because your <laughs> lips and jaw are so can't frozen feel it. that the <laughs> muscles, the muscles barely work to keep that yeah, going. I, can re- I came up and somebody was asking me questions and, and I was like, don't talk to me. That's all I could get is don't <laughs> some semblance of don't talk to me where you could say it without moving your lips. You know, I can't talk. I'm telling them. <laughs> Right, it, it's hard, you know, and I, I feel bad sometimes in the day where, because like, oh. you gotta, you gotta, you gotta snap at people. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no time to have like a little. Happy well, you're smiling down there, James. Kumbaya, you're still smiling. A little happy kumbaya <laughs> conversation. It's like, no, we gotta get. They're looking at now. you. You're you're still, you know, smiling. They don't realize that smile is frozen onto your face, and that you're in pain, <laughs> and you're just like, hurry. You know? <laughs> 
I shouldn't say it because it, it wasn't it wasn't really that bad. I think, uh, especially you and I, we've we've done these classes for going on twenty years now, and being in the water for an extended two to three to even four or five hours we've done in the past. Uh, this was cold water. I mean, normally we're like a thirty-seven. It was thirty-four, which you know below forty each degree goes up ticks like like 10, 10 and then the next degree like, yeah. ticks like 15 and then the next degree ticks like 20 it's not a uh, linear relationship so it is cold baby it's cold so you got to snap sometimes you got to make them realize hey i know i look like I, this is great but we get, we got to move man cuz we're going to need a, you guys are going to need ice tongs to get me out of the water well right and, and especially in a weekend like we had because there's times in between dives where, you know, you and I got to get up out of the water, like sitting on the edge of the hole just to to get your hands back in the water to get heated up. And then you know, they need to get hot water on the working mechanics of the gear, like inflators and warming up first stages and second stages and uh, inflators on dry suits. And to then take an extra minute and a half, two minutes <laughs> after that for all of that stuff to freeze yeah. back up again like there's just there's no time and if if there wasn't any wind it would have been it would have been okay but with that wind rolling I mean it was the workload of just keeping the divers able to dive was so taxing because i mean everybody was having freeze-ups on everything i mean first stages were freezing dry suit inflators were freezing bcd inflators were freezing Octos were freezing, second, you know, primary, second stages. I mean, everything was freezing up. Human beings were freezing. <laughs> we had uh, we had uh, cut Brando, uh, you know, uh, we had to cut him loose there. I don't know how he made it back. We're like, he, we can't save him. He's, he's done for. <laughs> this is how he would have wanted it. <laughs> Come on, let's go. We'll have a drink for him. <laughs> and it would be remembered going down in a... Glory of ice, water, diving, and shipwrecks. What a way to go. Yes, what a way to go. Um, so the hole that we cut, the ice was like 16 inches thick. It was pretty good thickness. It's not the thickest we've seen, but it's uh, it was thicker than last year, which I think we had like between 8 and 10-ish. But yeah, it was of significant thickness. It was pretty good. Which makes for definite work getting that whole whole yeah, we hand saw it you should tell people that james we're hand saws we're traditionalists we're, we're purists. purists we're purists with a handsaw yes so that's how that's how we roll but it's a huge ice saw yes i was going to say it is an ice saw which looks like it's something out of medieval inquisition torture chamber kind of thing right which i, I need to borrow that for halloween this year by the way <laughs> Oh, that coupled in a place where I know you're going to be having a few cocktails. <laughs> Probably not a good idea. That's a good idea. <laughs> but yeah, so the uh, and then on day two, you know, typically on day two, you can go back to the same hole, and yeah, it's just a light crusting of ice in there. But that <laughs> wind and that weather, I mean, that hole not only was it completely refrozen. But there was enough ice moving around, and then the wind was frothing that water up. So it was a mound 
of like six inches of ice on top of the 16 inches of ice that day two, we had to cut a second hole. It was just easier to start from scratch. Exactly. And we went a little bit bigger one because that one day ones was a little tight when you, when you have like six people. Yeah. The first hole we made, it it was about 12 feet by 12 feet by 12 feet. And day two, we made it like 18 by 18 by 18, which was a, that extra six feet around made a huge difference for Sunday. So much more comfortable. So there's something to put in your books uh, as far as ice diving. If you have the manpower and you're going to have that many people in the water, you need space. Yeah, exactly. Because we had, you know, you and I, you know, we, we had generally four people in the hole. So to have your traditional three foot by three foot hole that you see people cut for one one person ah. to fit in, no way, man, ain't going to happen. No cameras the cameras too james but luckily we should let people know too that i'm sure there is some question at some point of how long to make a a, an uh a side of that triangle based on the thickness of the ice you know and because we had 16 inches we could really open that hole up big we did now one of the things that we did last year is we had joe come out and cook up some hot soup on day two. And then we expanded that this year. And because we really wanted to make this whole event bigger and better, we had sponsorship, a shout out to North Center Brewing Company out of Northville, Michigan, who sent us up there with a couple cases of shipwrecked IPA. And we had food out there. So we had uh, some really good IPA beer for at the end of the day when we got everything off the ice. But, you know, Joe was there from the beginning to the end in that galley cooking up breakfast sandwiches because you're talking nearly three hours of work from the time we showed up before it was even go grab your gear and let's get diving, right? Setting up all the shelters, getting the heat rolling, getting the hole cut, getting the lines placed, getting everything out there and ready to go. And Joe was rocking in there, setting up that galley so that by the time all the work was done, everybody had a really fantastic breakfast sandwich to eat. And then I got right to work cleaning that up and started working on those amazing fajita burritos that we had at the end of the day. Like when you're sitting there just freezing to death, needing some hot food inside your stomach. I think we, uh, I think we should call them Cucaritos. Cucaritos, <laughs> I like it. Big Joe's Cucarito Cafe. Come get your Cucarito. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Can I get any more ridiculous? Oh, love it. Here, hold my beer. <laughs> and then again, more food on Sunday, man. Just, just fantastic stuff. Which goes to show, I mean the. Uh, I get spoiled on a dive like this. One, because it's such a cool ship to dive. That in the summertime, it's a meh, it's shallow, it's it's green. green. The algae it, is just it's either it's insane. either dark green yeah. or dark brown. It's you know, maybe on a great day you've got 15, 20 feet of visibility. I mean, uh, from the surface you know, you, you're probably not going to be able to see even the ship that you're going down on from the surface. 
Now we cut the hole right over the tip, Nailed tip it. of the goddamn bow, <laughs> and once you opened up that ice hole, you could see the shipwreck from the surface as clear as day. Yeah, well, clear as a dark day, but it's yeah, it's clear. You could just, see it. That's just amazing. Sure. You know, so there's that. The people that we had out there, the adventure of back and forth on four wheelers and snowmobiles. That made for such a great thing. All the great food, all the great, <laughs> all the great people that were out there, made yes. for such a fun dive. Like I'm spoiled. Like I don't even want to go do wow. like a regular ice dive ever again, because yeah. this is, just captures everything about Great Lakes, shipwreck community, and ice diving all rolled into one. Which leads me ultimately, Brando, to like. The the main reason you and I originally came up here was we want we the wine tour we wa- we wanted to take a wine tour <laughs> and we heard about a shipwreck. <laughs> that is that is something you should throw in there is that we're we're talking uh, wine country up here too so several vineyards which I did make a run to so and distilleries for that yeah matter. yeah there's distilleries there's breweries or there's, there's wineries Northern Michigan. Uh, shout out to uh, Pure Michigan, everybody. Hashtag Pure Michigan. This is one of the most beautiful areas in the state of Michigan. And yeah. If you have a drinking problem, it's a great place to be. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, who doesn't after a day of working your ass <laughs> off and freezing your ass off yes. when you finally finally get back to the hotel, man? Look out. Uh but yeah, like we knew that we wanted to get some really interesting photography that you can't get anywhere else. You know, you know, you've been taking ice photography for years, and we've done some really cool stuff. But it t- tends to become all the same: the surface, the dark patches of thicker snow, the lighter patches where lights coming through. Uh, you're very near the surface diver with ice above them that can create some cool stuff. Then, like, you're typically, if there's anything on the bottom, even if you are on a wreck, most of the wrecks in this shallow of water are all broken up on the bottom. So you you don't have the relief to get a shipwreck shot because most of the shipwrecks are busted up, so you're shooting down at them. So to be able to look up and see the diver, see a shipwreck, see the ice at the surface, this is a magical place. Yeah, you get 50 feet of water to the bottom, and the wreck is about 25 feet-ish from the bottom to the deck, the topmost deck, I'd say. So, yeah, it's a unique opportunity. I, I know there are others we could probably find. It takes a little hunting to find. A, a, it's shallow enough that you can dive it in the ice dive because you students only have 100 foot of uh, travel. Right. And it's also intact. The problem with shallow wrecks is uh, wave action and storms to just destroy them till they be- just become timber, right? And this, because it's sheltered in Lake Charlevoix, you've got a full wreck, full intact wreck. Right, yeah. and, and most most inland, inland sunken ships are... Just speed tiny boats. little speedboats. Pontoon you know, little speedboats. Speed <laughs> <laughs> Might have yeah, a cabin yeah, cruiser a, occasionally. Yeah, yeah, but so that's what makes Lake Charlevoix so cool, being that it was this this lake where they would bring ships off of Lake Michigan for shelter. And then sink You're them. able to have a, <laughs> a real full-size <laughs> ship. Yeah. 
yeah, cool spot, cool little spot. Just it's it's not great to dive in the summer, and so the winter is the perfect time. You just have to make that trek, make that trek across the ice. It's it reminds me a lot of that um that Star Wars you know scene trekking out oh. at, and on what is that Hoth or something like that, whatever that planet is. Right, exactly. I mean, the, the trek is. I mean, especially with the conditions that we had on Saturday. I mean the 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 scene the, the opening scene of uh, Empire Strikes Back where they're they're on hot. We needed we needed a tauntaun because I think somebody was commenting that like they left me in a tauntaun. They cut open a tauntaun <laughs> and left me in it. <laughs> we we had to man. You were, you were so cold. It was the only thing that saved you Saturday. <laughs> Thank you, tauntaun. He gave his life for me. I was lucky I was carrying that lightsaber. You never leave home without it, Obi-Wan. That, uh, I was going to say that snowmobile. The snowmobile was wicked fast on the ice. The quad, not so fast. Fortunately, we had a nice, safe driver on the quad. Uh, but that snowmobile, I know he was up to like 50 miles an hour at least, maybe more. He So Skippy would take me back, and I'm, <laughs> I'd just get out of the water. I'm still wet. My face is wet. Everything's wet. And whew, at 60 miles an hour, 50 miles an hour even, in that wind. Right, right. Going against the wind heading back. When you're heading out, the wind's at your back. It's it's not so bad on the snowmobile. You're going the same speed as the wind. You don't even feel it, but going back in, it's like multiplied. So I got back. I could not hardly feel, I couldn't feel anything. I was just a, like a vibrating, shaking mass of frozen human flesh. Right. I I had to tell him myself. I was like, I'm, I'm Sunday. Okay, we I, we don't got to get back in seven seconds. <laughs> Just, just take it, just take it nice and easy, because it's a it's a fifteen to twenty minute walk, you know, to walk from shore out to the ice hole. That far, that snowmobile, the snowmobile, you know, you're you're back in a minute. The the on the quad, you're you're back in like four or five minutes. You know, it's because it it just doesn't move as quick. But remembering that we did this exact same dive with probably just as much people, just as many people, now maybe a little less, but. We did this exact same dive last year, walking. No, there was no quads. There was no snowmobiles. Just a lot of, I don't know. I don't know how many tons of equipment we had out there, but there's a lot of equipment to get out there. Oh yeah, yeah. The, the lucky thing for last year was there was no wind. That's it's. it's it, yeah, we had beautiful you know, it, sunny, thirty-ish degree days. Right. Yeah. To, to do it without vehicles. In that kind of wind, it would have been impossible. Oh, it would have been uh, rough. Not impossible. Yeah. I think we'd have done it. I'm glad we didn't have to find out. I, I think we're we're. I think we are stupid enough that we. Yeah, we, we ain't calling this. We, 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 we would have went through with it. Yeah, but hey, you know, while we're on the topic, and I know it's um, you know, one of the favorites amongst the people. Um, you you want to have a little bit of a chat about. The photography, like, I mean, I know you, I mean, this is your element. I mean, I mean, you love, I mean, all of this stuff. You love photography, you love shipwrecks, you love ice diving. It's all coming to you and you've really been building like a special niche of, of photography that, that nobody's really taking like you've been lately. Nobody wants to. I've been lucky enough to like, <laughs> like work with you a little bit and, uh, uh, and get some tips and some pointers this was really fun. I mean, I, I mean, I enjoyed taking these pictures because it co- it brings into the game what I first got 
excited about with photography, which is that ultra big wide angle. Yeah, and this is the perfect place for it. I mean, you've got great viz, you've got a subject, you've got something that's you know unique, and, unique in what it is in and of itself, but unique in the way it looks and what it does to the light, how it refracts the light and deflects the light, and it's um, it's a bunch of uh, you know perfect storm of photography right and it's not it's it's not anything where you're doing it all in photoshop right where you take right. a picture of the ice surface you take a picture of the <laughs> shipwreck <laughs> you combine them together yeah. to make a shipwreck look like it's under the ice um right i mean th- these are it's real photos right yeah and for the most you know for the most part on unaltered i mean you do a couple little bring up the shades and you know bring up the shadows tone down the highlights the problem i mean as far as tips or whatever or how we get these these uh pictures the the underwater ice diving environment offers a unique challenge in the sense it has a there's a very high dynamic range so that that light on you want to get that ice in the picture you want to kind of paint a story right or tell a story with your, right. with your photo and you want to be able to see the ice you want to ideally i mean i like to put a diver in there or two divers or whatever something to give it scale and you want the wreck and then you kind of want you know the terrain or the water and something like that but with that that surface and light coming through and it filters out a lot of light going to the bottom so it's dark on the bottom and very bright on the surface which is normal in a in a diving environment but with the ice on there, it's a, it's much darker on the bottom. So what you have is this, that's called a dynamic range from the from its the darks, the blacks to the highlights. When that is so wide, yeah, where the lights coming in through some of the open spots on the on the surface, mm-hmm. definitely where the uh, the ice hole is. I mean, it's white light, right, compared to. Um, black bottom, right? Exactly. Like, like light vacuum at the bottom, yeah. light beam at at the top. And you want to get a, you want to be able to see that bottom as well as the light at the top. You want to, you'd like to see details in the light. Like I like to be able to see the surface tending crew through the hole, you know, or the fins hanging down in the hole for the next divers. Um, but it's sometimes that that is super hard to get because. In order to to get the bottom to where you can see it on on a developed photo, you have to increase your exposure. But when you do that, the top is blown out because it's just too bright. So it's a delicate balance you have to get in there, right? Yeah, because you're you're dealing with you know half your photo is going to be underexposed and half your photo is going to be overexposed, overexposed. Exactly. and how do you how do you blend all that together yeah. it's definitely a, a cool fun challenge which which is what i'm loving like like learning sweet learning spot, that man. yeah 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 and yeah, it's it's figuring out like looking through that camera lens and like how do I get light? How do I get light? And then you move, you know, 10 feet in the water column. You're like, how do I get rid of light? How do I get rid of light? <laughs> it's constant. And then a cloud, a freaking clouds that on Saturday, the clouds are blown over so fast. You know, it would go from super bright and then I go to take a shot. Looks good. But then a cloud will come over, goes completely black on you and you're going, motherfucker. You know, if you're shooting manual, it doesn't adjust anything automatically. So you have to 
go back in and adjust. Uh, a lot of times what I do in that situation, I do this for my kids' soccer too. If the clouds are moving quickly or the, the lighting conditions are changing rapidly, you don't want to have to keep changing your settings. So you put it in, in depending on what you require to be set, you put it either in timed variable, which is like a shutter speed variable. You set that and then the camera suits out, you know, sorts out the rest. Or you put an aperture variable where you set that and then the camera sorts out the rest. And that, that one can be a little shaky because a lot of times it'll jump the ISO way up to where you don't want it or the shutter speed way down to where you don't want it. But um, there are ways around it. It's just I, just, I just keep it manual and just per shot kind of thing. But the other side of that is if you have subjects like divers that you want to you wanna get up close and you, you want to be able to see their face and not a silhouette right right that's that was the challenge i'm having and with uh, so the strobe is the whole new thing that i'm learning right and strobe strobe photography i mean it's not just putting a light on the you know <laughs> on a stick near your camera it's it can get complicated you know you're always balancing that foreground with the background and the lighting with the shadows and the other light in the background yeah, so being able to capture like that dynamic range that you were talking about of the the lights of the the ice, mm -hmm. the darks, the mysteriousness of the wreck, and then like also be able to light up a diver that's clear but still capture that background. Man, that's really I you mean gotta the, balance. that's challenging. Yeah, you have to balance like, it absolutely. And that's well, that's also, you know, when you're shooting up from the bottom with the sun in the back, you know, the the surface in the background that surface light is the sun there ain't no match for the sun as far as brightness you've really got to get a good strobe or you got to get you know some somewhat close to your subject and then you take the risk that you're going to get really harsh bright lights on your subject and blow your subject out but your background might be exposed okay so it's a delicate balance you know you have to keep working it yeah that's where i found you know uh a lot of those were delete pictures for me, mm. you know, when, when uh, just because I, I, I was getting comfortable with shooting the wreck and like shooting the divers off in the distance, yeah. getting them close, really blowing them out. And, so yeah. I, that, that's, that's the game I'm playing right now. I'm trying to learn, learn that next part. Just takes a little, yeah, a little more experience, a little more practice and uh, kind of learning how far away your subject has to be so you don't blow them out. Get a make sure you're using a diffuser. You need softer light on on a person's face. You know, the harsh light makes harsh shadows, which makes harsh photos. So get a diffuser, blow that light really wide out so it covers your entire subject, and and of course you know the angle of uh, incidence on the subject with your light. So that what that means is you got to get those strobes, ideally two. One works, but it, it it usually produces a uh, it has a certain look to it. You can tell it's a spotlight coming over the center kind of thing. I can always tell right. with a single strobe. Now it depends on how close you are to your subject and what kind of background you got. But like in in our situation, you almost always could see like that spotlight over a subject, unless you can kind of get it get it to reflect just right so that takes some playing around with because it's different in every every area of the water it all is dependent on the particulate in the water you know 
So it gets it gets to that frustration level gets put way up there because you're constantly moving that to get it right. Thankfully, we're in digital. And this is where you got to take your hat off to the film guys because, you know, they had 36, 36 shots. They couldn't change film underwater. And a lot of, you know, especially in the old days, they had to carry their own little bulbs, you know, little, a little, uh, what's that, a bandolier of flash bulbs that they had to plug in and poof, get one shot, change the bulb, and then go to their settings. And they, you know, the nice thing about a DSLR, you got the light metering, you can see where the light's going to be as far as its strength and the exposure. We did, in the old days, none of that was there. Right, right. Like uh, thirty years ago, like you know, shooting this underwater, yeah, you'd have you'd have had thirty six shots. To take. <laughs> exactly. You might get which three. actually, yeah, <laughs> which actually you probably would have loved because you would have been like, "Well, I'm done, James. Exactly. Go finish your class. <laughs> See you later." Yeah, I'll, I'll go to get some hot soup. And I also remember how expensive it was to get thirty six roll. You know, a thirty six or developed was like seventeen bucks. So just I want you to think about this, uh, digital photographers. Every 36 pictures, whether they were good or not, they had to be developed before you could tell if they were good or not. So it's about 16 bucks, 17 bucks, whatever, depending. And, and like an hour wait. If, an hour if, if you went standing, to the hour. One. If you're standing right <laughs> next to a photo mat. Yeah, you know, it was usually like come back in a couple days. days. Yeah, they yeah. sent it out. But that's, again, you got to. Tip your hat to them because they went off of settings. You really had to know photography. There was some math involved with the distance and the whatever aperture you're using and focal length. Um, and we didn't have nearly the the assortment of cameras and dome ports and housings and and all all the strobes and lighting that we have now. Nothing like that. It was it was very limited. Yeah, 30, 40 years ago, I mean, it was underwater photography was definitely a, a craft that you had yeah. to be dedicated to. And dinero, money. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Not that th- not that right now it's it's any less expensive. I don't think it's any less expensive, but as a whole people do better now so they there's more people taking photos. Although you can get into underwater photography a lot cheaper nowadays. Yeah, you, you can get into yeah, you can get into some good underwater photography equipment for pretty reasonable that takes, you know, shots compared to 20 years ago, you know, in digital. I mean, it's it's not even in the same caliber of quality. And, I mean, yeah. The stuff today is fantastic. For 1500 bucks, you can get some high high quality digital photo equipment. Right, and don't even uh, you know mention videography because with the GoPro and GoPro type cameras, you're putting out HD video that on a super wide angle lens that just blows away anything from the day. You know, you well, I always talk about my old housing and the the camera that was halfway decent, and and everybody always would comment like that is just incredible video footage. It would it was the magic camera, but you take a GoPro. And put it next to it. It makes it look like it's fucking a kid's crayon drawing. Right. It looks like a hand, an old hand crank. Those old eight millimeter projectors. It makes it look like garbage. But um, yeah, it's it's incredible nowadays. I mean, uh, yeah, that 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 GoPro ten is just wicked. Have you looked at your footage? I don't have any GoPro footage. Oh, you didn't take any? Damn it. No, I. You know what? I looked at mine. I got some good stuff. I I charged I charged up the battery. 
And then, uh, and then on Saturday, like I, I wasn't going to take it on dive one because I wanted to be focused on the students. Um, and then we didn't have a dive two on Saturday because we aborted because of the weather. And then on Sunday, I didn't recharge because it was full, but that cold, I, I got out there, grabbed the camera, and it's at 30%. I'm like, wow. You told me. I, I had me. like four batteries that I kept right there at the ice in case there was problems. Oh, man, I should have grabbed one then. No it was it was chaos getting in yeah. at that point. So I just said, Got that right. all right, I'm, I'll take in the still and call it a day. All right, everybody. Well, hey, this was kind of like you joined us on the KUKA. <laughs> uh, we, <laughs> they had I hope minus the pain <laughs> no, I should, shouldn't say that hey i know we make it sound like it's all horrid and it, it's just it is a lot of work at the end of the day it was a worth any of the cold that we had experienced yeah absolutely right? and, absolutely and be the people in the extraneous time the the outside of diving time we got to go hang out have dinner and just talk with a bunch of great people that came to support us and and get some ice diving in awesome that right there is yeah. worth it so. Yeah, I mean that the, the true the, captured all the spirit of a of a diver, right? The the people, the community, the dive, the fun, the adventure. I mean, this is what diving's all about for sure. And freezing your ass off. A little bit of freezing your ass off to make it to make it valuable. If if it was all comfort so you and you know, uh, what's the word? Unicorns and whatever the fuck. Uh, it wouldn't be worth it. it wouldn't, have, wouldn't have been worth it. Not at all. Everybody be doing it. All right, everybody. Well, hey, next year. We'll be up there again, I'm sure. Uh, end of Feb- last weekend of February, I think it's the 25th, 26th of February next year. Uh, get in touch with us if you're interested in learning to ice dive. Uh, we'll be doing another class. If you're interested in diving because you're already an ice diver, um, come on up and join us. If you're interested in just Working the hole, hanging out with friends, uh, coming up to, you know, socialize and mingle, you know, by all means, get in touch with us. Uh, we'll see you guys next year in Charlevoix on the KUKA, maybe. And bring your camera. Bring your camera. All right. We'll uh, talk to you guys next week. Until then, safe diving, people. Blah, 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 blah.